We have a strategy to reach sinned cities, and we have 50 sinned cities that we focus upon um, because that's where the greatest number of people are. Well, the greatest number of people who are lost. And so instead of spreading out our resources all over the place where uh, we're not really able to do a lot anywhere, we focused our resources in particular places so we could have a greater impact. So your offering goes 100% toward that strategy. It is not used for administrative purposes or to buy a yacht for some president of some organization or whatever. It goes directly to church planners and missionaries who are working to uh, bring people to Jesus Christ. So, uh, I had something. I just want to say thank you. First of all, Kim, I, we've shared a while back that Kim uh, has cancer and uh, stage two breast cancer. She's undergoing chemotherapy. She has another treatment coming up this weekend and uh, this Friday, uh, and she has to do that for 18 weeks. And we've had an amazing outpouring of love and gifts and so forth, and we're just so thankful. And she spends her days writing thank you cards and and trying to uh, go to every comment on Facebook that she ever gets and say something nice there and so but um She's having some really good days. She's still, her immune system's compromised a little bit, so we want, uh, so she's kind of staying away. But uh, we had uh, prayed, we had a really special gift that we had for her, and uh, and so um, I told her, I said, hey, we got a special present for you, and I want to film you uh, getting it, and, uh, and so um, I filmed it. You got it? We'll show it to you. For those who don't know, my daughter and son-in-law live in Europe. So she's happy, but my daughter and son-in-law live in Europe, and they are um, 
they got personal leave to come home, and uh, and so uh, to have the baby here in Cape. So uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit more at the end of service. Uh, some people ask, what can we do to help? Now I have something for you to do. Uh, so I will I'll talk to you about that at the end of service. But it was a, a super special day. Now just so you know, I am. Uh, people may question. The art of deception in a pastor, um, but I've known for three and a half weeks or whatever that we were doing this. But the reason why people say, why would you be so cruel to keep that from your wife? The reason why was because all the way through this entire process, there were so many things that could go wrong. And we didn't know. I didn't know that she would get here until she got here. And uh, and even then, they lost their luggage. Uh, so, but they uh, they but the process was just it was uh, God just had to make one thing happen after another and so forth. To the where we got to the end, it was like God, you, you would not be so cruel. My wife has no idea, but I know. I have an idea. You would be not, I'm so cruel as to let this fall through at this point. And uh, all the way up to the point where they had to have a negative uh, COVID test in order to get on the plane. And that was the day before. They got tested the day before they got on the plane. And so, uh, but it worked out and they're here. And so uh, she was, but the, what she was saying at the beginning, she had said that, um, you might as well live on the moon because there's no way I'm going to get to see my grandbaby or to hold it uh, because her treatments go for 18 weeks and then she has surgery and then radiation. And uh, and so she said, so that's why she said when she came in, she said, well, it's not the moon. I said, did you rehearse that line like a thousand times before? And she said, yeah, we, we did. But anyway, they'll be here uh, actually in the second service. So, um, so we're excited for that and uh, hopefully for services, uh, many services to come. It leads, helps me to go into a sermon series called Just As Predicted. And I thought, what an incredible example of how I, you and I can't foresee things. I remember I shared with Cam a story. Well, this was the, this was the, um, um, the moment that was really special for us, for me. And um, is, this is like an emotional thing, so uh, I'm sorry. But um, we, um, um, first of all, and we've been through cancer before, and uh, with my father dying from pancreatic cancer, and we know many people, we've gone through cancer with many people, and, but it has given us a newfound empathy for people, uh, for my mother, because um, when you go through cancer with your spouse, it is a, it's a whole different thing because now you're the one who's caring for that person you know even when my father had cancer you know I would go see him and then I would go home and and didn't think about the fact that my mom lived with that you know that every day and and, and taking care of him and 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 it's not and it's like a it's kind of like a double whammy because you have the person they're suffering and you're suffering watching them suffering and they're suffering watching you watching them suffer and uh, and, it, and it just keeps going like that so I just want to say I have a newfound empathy for that the um, my cord stuck here behind my head hold on a second there it goes the um, uh, so she was having a really bad day a week or so ago and in fact it was a little over a week ago and I knew that this was now becoming a very real possibility and she was just really she was just really depressed over the fact that she was separated from her daughter and and and, and, and the situation from the baby and so forth and she just looked at me and she said I, I just I don't think I can do this she goes I don't I don't 
know that life is worth living through this. It's so hard. And I just looked her in the eyes and I said, in one week, you're going to look at me in the eyes and you're going to say, I can't believe how good God is. And and that's a week later, she did. She looked at me in the eyes and she says, I can't believe how good God is. And that's, it, Henry Blackaby tells a story about how he bought his daughter a red bicycle. I share this in our evangel letter or whatever, but, uh, but he had the bicycle and it was like he, his daughter, he, he got his daughter to want or desire to have a red bicycle. And, and so, uh, so by the time Christmas got there, he gave her a gift that he'd had for her the whole time for months hidden in the garage. And I thought, you know, that's how God is with us. He has, he knows what you and I need. He, he knows where we need to get to. He knows all the things that we need in life to give us a great amount. We have this, we have a dream for ourselves. We have this idea. This is how this all should unfold. And, and, and we want it to unfold the way we want it to unfold because we think we know what's best for us. But he knows us better. And here's the struggle we have. Does God love us more than we love ourselves? And the answer is yes, he does love us more than we love ourselves. So his dream is better than our dream. What he is wanting is better. I, 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 love, I love the relationship I have with my kids because I, I get to see this. Because there's so many times when they've been asking for something. And I didn't give them what they were asking for. Because I knew I had something much better than what they were even asking for. And they would realize, I knew they would realize it. After the fact, I knew that they. I knew once it came, it would it would it would be much better than after the fact, and um, and that was what you know was such a, a neat surprise when you have something when you have somebody getting ready to walk through the door and you know that they're thinking <laughs> I'm not I just gotten a text from and, and this is my apologies to Sherry uh, but Sherry had said that she had this football uh, that wanted to know if we wanted it. And I showed picture of Kim, a picture of it to Kim that morning of this football. And she goes, I, I don't really want the football. And so, uh, but then I told her I had a surprise and I wanted to film her getting it. She said, I was thinking the whole time he went ahead and got that football, didn't he? <laughs> and so it's like, I'm going to have to, I'll try to act like, you know, Sherry's going to watch this video. And I was like, oh, football, love it. It's great. It's amazing. And uh, so anyway, so that's what she had in her head. And sometimes that's the way we are. We have that in our head. This is what is going to happen, unfold, and so forth. And, and in these two weeks before Easter, this is Palm Sunday and, and getting to resurrect. These are two great weeks in which what people were expecting. They thought they had this great dream of having a king and, and, uh, and, and, to getting, and putting Jesus in power on the throne. And he was going to depose the Roman Empire and, and Israel was going to be back on top once again. They had this idea in their head and it was a great idea. But God had something far greater than what they could imagine in store for them. And so that's why this message is called the king is coming. The king is coming. We are, we still in our minds have this idea that um, we want, we're trying to get our schools to be better, our communities to be better, our state to be better, our nation to be better, our world to be better. We're, we always think, we look in terms of global conflicts or crises and so forth. How do we clean up the environment and how do we, how do, we do this and how do we do that? How do we fix this and how do we fix that? And we get really consumed with these things. 
We spend a lot of energy talking about it and thinking about it. And this is a good plan. Oh, this person's got a bad plan. And, and this and so forth. And, and the whole while, and we're saying, God, how do we fix this? And how do, we, how, do we have, how do we elect this person and accomplish this and put these people in power? And God, the whole time, has a message for us. And that is, you know, there's a king who is coming. I'm, I'm sending to you a king. A king who will reign in a, such a way that all people will be blessed. What you need to be doing until the king comes is preparing the way for the king. Preparing people for the fact that the king is coming. That they will desire him. That they will want him. We are to be helping move people toward Jesus. Getting him in their mind, talking about how amazing he is, how good it would be, so that they will also desire him to be here as king. So that is where we, so because when we all get to the place where we are desiring him as king, guess what? Then he comes and he is king for those who want him. In Matthew chapter 21, we see this exciting moment. Now, all the way leading up to this, People ask all the time, why did Jesus, when he did this miracle, they'll say, why did Jesus do that miracle? And then I'll, and tell nobody, and say, don't tell anybody. Or don't say anything to anybody. Keep that quiet. Well, the reason was, is because he was trying to suppress this fervor and, and trying to play down who he was until the moment was right for him to be revealed as the coming king, as the Messiah. When we get to Matthew chapter 21, that moment has arrived. Jesus himself is saying, all right, now we're not hiding it anymore. We're taking the lid off of this. And so we're going to go, we're going to go bold into the town. And, and, and it's called the triumphal entry. And verse 1 of chapter 21 of Matthew, it says, They approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a coat, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and his foal. Then they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the tree and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for just how amazing your grace is. God, you are so good. And Lord, I pray this morning that you just continually unfold for us your goodness and revelation of who you are. And may we see through this, Lord, that you do everything just like you plan to do it. It's not like these things surprise you, Lord. They are in your time, in the fullness of your time, Lord. You are God. And so, Lord, may we recognize that for our own lives, Lord, that you are in control. That you see all that is happening. There's no reason to be afraid. Sometimes our expectations do not match that which you are bringing. But Lord, please align our desires with yours. 
And may we trust that you love us more than we love ourselves. And what you have for us is really, really good. We don't have to make ourselves think it's good. Lord, it really is good. May we trust you in that. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The words, this took place so that occur in this passage and it makes me think of all the things that happen so that something else can transpire i mean think of how many times something really bad has happened in your life something difficult something maybe possibly tragic and you and you look back and you go oh you know if that hadn't happened then we would have never i would have never met this person we would have never had this child we would have never live in this area we would have known these people we would have never gotten these things and, it's, and, and it just makes us pause and go, oh, wow, that's, God was gracious. The whole time we thought that was something bad. In fact, governments have, a, have been upended to cause entire groups of people to migrate. Just like when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And if you hadn't sold me into slavery and I've been taken to Egypt and so forth, then everybody would have died. All these people would have starved to death because of the famine was so severe. But God in his wisdom took what you did bad and made something good of it. Romans 8.28 tells us that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means not just bad things and things that cause us to suffering. It means even good things. It means everything. And that's the part we miss about God so often is that He's He's working through every event of our life, good and bad, so that He can bring about the end that the positive that He intends for you and for me, for all of us. It's hard to see that sometimes. It's hard to see how the circumstances of our life are working out in this particular way but God has a reason for it in fact at some point we, we get to a place when you live in this in this zone you get to the place where you're like oh that didn't work out well then God has something God has a reason for that or this did work out well God has a reason for that and this is going this direction not like I anticipated but God has a reason for it and sometimes you just want to step back and go I wonder what he's doing I wonder how he's going to bring all this together. Sometimes I'll even look at him in heaven and go, this is going to be interesting to see how you make this work. <laughs> this is a, I'm pretty baffled by it right now, just staring at it, thinking this doesn't look like it can be good in any way, form, or fashion. But isn't it neat, though, so often how we can look back and go, how did we get here? How do we get to this point? Especially when you're in a good place. Now, if you're in a bad place... Sometimes you kind of doubt what God's doing. But when, you're, when you get to those good places, you think back to all those times where you could not see a way out. It's like, I don't know how, this, I don't know how anything good can come out of this. I mean, I've been in some really dark holes before. Some, some places I didn't think that I would come. Some places where I contemplated ending my life. Where I, it was so bad and I could see no resolve, no resolution and it was just by God's grace that he held on to me and said, don't quit. Hang on to me. In fact, I was, I was 18 and he said, I just really, I really felt he said to me, if you don't want your life, give it to me. And then let me do with it what I want to do it. And you take from 18 to 52, 
I, there was a, I mean, when you think of ending your life at 18 and then when you're 52 years old and you look, there was a lot of things that I would have missed if I had stopped there. And then realize, and I can easily say this took place so that he could do all these other things that I would have never imagined. And so in, in this passage in, in chapter 21, you have the people approaching Jerusalem. Now understand, everything that's getting ready to happen as Jesus is coming in, is when they approached Jerusalem in verse 1 and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. Untie them and bring them to me. Now this is Jesus telling them to do something he knows will send a message to people that he is the Messiah. He knows they're familiar with the passage that the Messiah is going to come into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. He's, and, and, uh, and so he is purposefully putting himself in the position of king. And people are going to be excited, and they're supposed to be excited. At this point, he wants them to be excited. Like I said, he's making it very clear what is getting ready to transpire. And he says, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. So he and his providence has already taken care of the situation so that it will occur as I am telling you, it's going to occur. And it says, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hundreds of years before. A prophet has foreseen that this is how the Messiah will enter. And now it is taking place. You think of all the things that had to transpire in order to get to this particular moment. And God engineered all of it. God got everybody where they needed to be. All the disciples where they were supposed to be. To the point that he knows where the donkey is. And has that donkey ready for him to do what he needs to do. That's how he is in our lives. He has a plan. We are to trust that God always has a plan. Trust that God always has a plan. Because he does. He is always trying to find a way to communicate to you and me that no matter what it looks like, I need to get you from here to here. And if you'll obey me, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to get you from here to here. And this is what I need to do with you. I need to get you here. And I need to move through all this and get you to here. And if we go out here and meander away or whatever, he then tries, he inter- comes into our lives and redirects and re, re, comes, uh, comes back in and tries to draw us back into him, pursues after us and says, whoa, 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 don't go that way. Come back this way. And so you're like, why is this not working out? Because we're thinking I'm supposed to go that way. And he's saying we're supposed to go this way. So as much as I'm trying to go this way, everything seems to get blocked. And then he's trying to get me to veer back until he finally gets me where I need to be. He's always doing that. He always has a plan and he's always working that plan. And so we need to believe he does have a plan and just trust that if this isn't working out, if I'm trying everything I can to make it happen, then that is not what he needs to do in order to accomplish his plan. The people then begin to cry out, Hosanna, the term Hosanna. I, uh, 
I remember I, I Hosanna means save us now. It just makes me think of a time when I had a friend who we were in a revival and he said, um, he said, hey, uh, hallelujah. Does anybody know what hallelujah means? And nobody raises their hand because that's church people are. And then he looks at me, the pastor, and says, pastor, you know what the definition of hallelujah is? And I said, praise the Lord. And he said, close. It means Jesus is coming soon. Now, in that moment, you don't really know what to do because it doesn't mean Jesus is coming soon. It's Hebrew, alleluia, which means praise the Lord. And I said it, but now everybody thinks he's right. They laugh at me, you know, because they're like, our stupid pastor doesn't even know what hallelujah means or whatever because he's the guy on the podium. So, you know, whatever this guy's saying up here, typically everybody believes. But I'm going to tell you in, in full confidence that Hosanna means save us now. But they weren't necessarily crying out save us now. It's kind of like when we use the term hallelujah. When we say hallelujah, some, uh, even though it means praise the Lord, sometimes it just, the word hallelujah has its own definition. Something we say when we are excited and praising the Lord. Hosanna was something people would say, uh, again, a title uh, and so forth. And we can see that by the way it's being used in the text. And, and these are people who are in need of hope and they're shouting and desiring, that, uh, the, believing that hope is to be resolved. So they're, they're giving this, uh, this term of affection, Hosanna, because they believe that this is the one who is finally going to save them. Look what it says in verse 6. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. Obedience, just as a side, obedience is always crucial in order for us to see what God is going to unfold. They brought the donkey and its foal. Then they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. Now, just if you're one of these people gets caught up in the syntax of the words, he didn't sit on both of them. The way it's written, it just means he sat on the clothes and that were on the one donkey. It was not some type of circus act where Jesus is sitting on two different animals at the same time. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So, Hosanna, again, is kind of a, uh, to the son of David, uh, again, this kind of uh, word of like hallelujah. But it means save us now. And, and it's, it's interesting how this term became one that they, they, they would basically, you would give this to somebody who you believed brought hope and meaning. And here is, let me just kind of give you the history of what's happening here. Jesus' ministry primarily centered around Galilee. Remember the Sea of Galilee and the, and the region where he grew up and so forth and Nazareth and so forth. And, and while he didn't have a lot of success in his hometown, you go out to Capernaum and, and Caesarea and all these other places. It's kind of the northern area where he was from. And he had developed quite a following in this region and so the people who are with him, and this was a time they're coming in for the Passover, and the, this was kind of a, a pilgrimage that they would all make. So if you can imagine, they all traveled, kind of like when Mary and Joseph, uh, early on when they bring Jesus to the temple when he's 12, 
And it says, you know, they're with family and friends as they're traveling along and so forth in that story. In the same way, they would make this pilgrimage in. So his disciples and all these people who had been seeing the miracles of Jesus and talking about Jesus and celebrating him as the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the Galilean, surrounded by Galileans. Remember when uh, Peter was uh, in, in, the, uh, in the garden and, or outside the, where Jesus was arrested and warming himself by the fire and he was betraying Jesus or, and uh, denying Jesus. And remember when they said he has the accent of a Galilean. Galileans kind of didn't fit in with the people in Jerusalem proper. It's kind of like people from southeast Missouri going over into uh, Columbia and Springfield and Jefferson City. Um, anyway, that's, I don't know if you know that or not. But when I said, when I went over there, thinking that everybody knew the state of Missouri very well, and they asked where I was from, I said, I'm from Jackson. They said, is that in Missouri? And I said, yes. Hello. Um, anyway, so you're over here. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of, the, kind of the idea. They were city people, and these are kind of other people with an accent. So. Jesus is in this area, so you have this crowd of people. Now, this is what is sometimes we don't realize. They haven't even got into the city yet. This is this. This is the people in this pilgrimage, all excited, getting up to the city, and Jesus is getting the donkey. He's on the donkey, and they're like, "Whoa! This is the moment. He is gonna proclaim himself to be the Messiah, and he's our guy. He's with us. He's from where we're from." And so they're taking off clothes and, and putting palm branches on the road and shouting and so forth. This is the moment. We're so excited. And they are just letting everybody know who he is. And before we get to this last few verses, just this is the point I want you to get. We need to understand that people don't know who Jesus is. We need to recognize and proclaim Jesus as the king he is. Because we live in a world that does not know who he is. We think they do, but they don't. Everything we're talking about in here, everything you've ever, if you've been to church more than once, you already know more than the majority of people in this community. Some people even go to church because they go to a church that doesn't proclaim Jesus, that talks about whatever people talk about in churches that don't talk about Jesus. Then they still don't know who Jesus is. If they don't study the Bible, they don't know who Jesus is. And most people don't study the Bible. And so you know who Jesus is. The old, we, have to, we have to be talking. It has to be to the point where we talk about him so much that what's getting ready to happen happens. And that's what we start talking about that he's our king. And we have to get people to say, he's not my king. He's not my king. I hear more people say, he's not my president, than he's not my king. No matter who's president, somebody says, well, he's not my president. And you know what I've discovered is, we talk about the president a lot more than we talk about the king. Now I expect that of the world. What else they got? They don't even know there's a king that exists. But the church, the church needs to be talking about their king. And let me help you here. There's really something good about this. He's never up for election, and he never loses. So no matter who, what's going on in political climate, I mean, just do this church. Listen to me. People are going, well, he's not my president. Well, it's like, I, I have a king. <laughs> it's what? Yeah, I have a king. 
at least it's a conversation starter, isn't it? Who's your king? Jesus. And they're like, oh, whatever, you're one of those people. But at least it starts a conversation. At least you've pointed out something that's important. When they're talking about the president or the this leader or that leader, and say, so, well, I'm so thankful that I have a king. You see, I want you to think how few times we've, we've said those words. How rare that is for us to communicate to other people that we, me, I have a king. That he is my king. And that I do worship him. Now as they're coming into the city, all these Gal- this Galilean crowd in a fervor about their king... And they get to Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem are like, what in the world is going on? Who are you talking about? You see, he's not a celebrity. He's not popular. In this. That's why when we, people are like, how did the crowd go so quick from laying down palm branches to saying crucify him? They're two different crowds. Two different groups of people. The people that saw him do miracles and everything, they're the outsiders. They haven't even gotten inside the city yet. Once they get inside the city, everything changes. And we see that in these next two verses. Look in verse 10 and 11. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds, the Galilean crowds, were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, just imagine how badly that was received. It's like, what? First of all, you guys are from Galilee. How in the world are you going to have a king come from there? You're in Jerusalem now. This is where everything that happens, happens. The problem is the people in Jerusalem already had a king. And they didn't necessarily love the king they had, but they learned to work with him. And they got their life figured out because that king had made them rich. Now I want you to see some parallels here. Christians like the government when the government makes them rich. When the government helps Christians be successful, Christians fall in love with the government. And I'm using the word Christian very loosely here. And that's what church people do. Just like they did then. And then we get our lives all nice and centered. And, and, and I've, I've witnessed this in other countries. I've gone to other countries that, are, that told us, don't share the gospel here. The Christians of the country would say, don't share the gospel. We'll turn you in. If you share the gospel, if you start witnessing to people in our country, we'll turn you in. They're primarily Muslim nations, small Christian contingency, but they were a protected Christian contingency. And they're like, if you come in and start sharing the gospel, you'll make ways for us, you'll make lives difficult for us, and we've got everything, we've worked out an agreement, even though we don't like the government, even though we, don't, we wish that it was all Christian, but it's not, so this is, what we've, this is the deal we've worked out. That's the way it was when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And sometimes that's the way it is here. We get it the way we like it, and then we don't want to upset it. And nobody asks the question, is this what Jesus would want? So here's just a simple word to all of us. Friends, we have to take a stand. We have to take a stand for Jesus. It is time. 
for the church to admit that it has a king and that our king is Jesus and that we take a stand for Jesus. And when people come up in an uproar of who do you think you are, we just tell them we're followers of Jesus Christ. And if they burn our buildings down, they burn our buildings down. It doesn't matter. We still follow Jesus Christ. We still proclaim him as king. We still herald him as the hope and solution for all mankind. There will be people out of the crowds who hate him. There will be a person here and there, just like Nicodemus came out of the Pharisees by night, sneaking in to see Jesus. But Nicodemus is going to spend eternity with Jesus in the glory of man and the glory of God for all eternity. That's the reward he gets for coming to Jesus. And so Jesus, yeah, if all the Pharisees reject him and he gets Nicodemus, praise the Lord, he got Nicodemus. By being true to who he was, by being consistent in his message. And that's what we have to do. We have to be true to who we are. We have to take a stand for Jesus Christ and say this is who we are. We are followers of Jesus Christ and we will always be followers of Jesus Christ. And he is our king. And it doesn't matter what the government says or what the government is or who the government belongs to or what the world thinks. We are followers of Jesus and we'll proclaim him. And then when people who are desperately in need of hope and people who need something better than the government can give, because who were the people who came to Jesus? It were the people who were poor and oppressed, the people who the government had let down. And right now, we're upside down. The poor and oppressed of our country think the government's going to solve their problem. And let me just say a cold, hard fact. That's because the government would send them a check for $1,400 and the church wouldn't. We need to be a better answer than the government. Now, I'm not saying this isn't creating a campaign where we're going to send $1,400 to every person in Jackson. But it is stepping into people's lives and say, I think I can do better than $1,400. I think I can do better than the government. I think we can do better than the government. And we need to demonstrate that. Because I do think God, I think God can improve people's lives much better than the government can. And we need to take that message to the world around us and say, we have a king who's going to bring hope and salvation. Let me ask you this. Are you on the right side of history? <laughs> That's Our culture keeps asking that question. Are you on the right side of history? It's like... I don't think any of the people asking that question are on the right side of history. Because this is what they're thinking when they say that in their mind. They're thinking, this political movement's going to take hold. And then all of a sudden, we're going to be this type of group of people. We're going to have this type of government. And all the people who don't agree with us and how we do things are going to be left behind. Kind of like in the French Revolution. So they're saying to you and me, are you on the right side of history? Well, let me tell you who else asked that question. God asked that question. This is when I come back as king and I set up my rule. We're studying Revelation on Wednesday nights and it's getting good. <laughs> so when I set up my rule, are you going to be on the right side of history? Because all these governments, I'm going to shut them down. All of them. There will be no government except my government, so says the Lord. 
And so that brings the next question. Who is your king? Who is your king? I mean, Jesus says, you know, if we're ashamed, if you are ashamed of me, then I will be ashamed of you. If you won't proclaim me as your king, if you won't declare that I am your king, your Lord, your Messiah, your master, then why would I acknowledge you as my child? Well, who is your king? And here's the great thing about the gospel. He doesn't care what you said before you got here today. It doesn't matter what you did against him. It doesn't matter how, if you went out and you had signs that said, Jesus stinks and he's awful and I hate him. All the way up until this morning, he's ready to say, I'll forget all of that. If you'll come to me now, if you'll trust me now, if you'll believe in me now, if you'll worship me now, If you will follow me now, I will give you new life for all eternity. Friends, next week we're going to be at the park and we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We're doing it at 10 o'clock in the park so we can get as many people as we can there. You are to go out and invite people to learn about who your king is. But you, before you can do that, before you can go out and tell people, I want you to meet my king, I want you to be introduced to my king, you have to know who your king is. And your life has to match that. So today, would you humble yourself before him? This is why every day, every day, every day, I get on my knees before him. And I worship him as king. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because he broke me. I thought I was something special. And I'm just humbled to be alive. Humbled to be able to stand here and and talk about him. Humbled to be able to share with you who he is. Grateful for the opportunity to serve him as my king. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for who you are. Just pray, God, this morning that we would humble ourselves before you today and acknowledge you as our king. And, Lord, that we wouldn't just do it in the comfort of this building, but, Lord, that we let the world around us know that we serve a king, a righteous, a gracious, a holy king. Father, may there be no doubt in the world around us who we serve who we believe in where our hope is may our friends know it may our families know it may all the world may not people not be surprised that we even know who Jesus is but Lord may they may they come to us when they need hope and help and ask us about our king but Lord in this moment we just want to bow before you and reaffirm you are our king hosanna glory in the highest amen